we're back to Joseph this week, back in Genesis 39. Now we left Joseph in the household of Potiphar, a powerful man in the Pharaoh's household. And Potiphar in turn made Joseph a powerful man in his household. Now we've seen some of Joseph's strengths, that God is with him, that God speaks to him. And Joseph seems, at least, pretty reliable and trustworthy. But we've also seen some of his weaknesses, haven't we? Joseph has perhaps a fondness for superiority, slight tendency to take fancy cloaks when they're offered, and he's not always great at realizing when it's best to stay quiet and when it's better to speak out. Now today we find Joseph in not the first, won't be the last difficult situation. So this is a story of both temptation and integrity. And what we find in Joseph's story, and what we find in the example of Jesus, and what we find in our own lives, is that temptation is a fact of life. But whether we give in to that or maintain our integrity, that is what we need to explore today. So let's hear from the word of God. We're in Genesis 39, starting at verse six. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. 
Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave that you brought to us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Let's pray. Loving and holy God, we thank you that you are indeed holy, that you are perfect, and that you have given us your word, your living, breathing scripture to guide us, to lead us, to teach us, to lead us closer to you. So we pray now, be present with us. Holy Spirit, open our eyes, our ears, our minds, our hearts to hear what you have to say this morning. In your name, amen. Now this is not an easy story to read. We live in a me too age, for want of a better phrase, and barely a day goes by without another story of sexual impropriety, harassment, bullying, abuse of power. And that's what we see here, abuse of power. And whether we're talking about any one of the many disgraced figures from my 70s childhood, or disgraced politicians, or disgraced church leaders, or Russell Brand, or Potiphar's wife, we're not talking about sexual appetites or sexual temptations so much as power and the abuse of power. So I want to make it really clear that this is not a sermon about sexual temptation, it's not about sexual desire or purity. It is about temptation, um, what I think is the opposite of temptation, integrity. And that's important because with this, like I would like to say any other sermon you ever listen to, I don't want anyone to think that they can switch off, that they can say, ah, yeah, but she's not talking to me because I have never, never abused, the, abused my position of power over a servant in my household. Well, well done. I've never forced my attentions on a young, young person working under me. Good, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not going to demonize Potiphar's wife for the specifics of the temptations that she offered or succumbed to. We're going to think about the nature of temptation. So, what is temptation? Well, firstly, I would argue that temptations are relentless. They come at us over and over again. Day after day, we're told Potiphar's wife coaxed and enticed Joseph. Day after day, she had to watch him moving around her home with calm authority and good looks. She was both tempter and tempted. Now, whatever we bring with us today, whatever little voice 
is whispering in our ear, I want it, I need it, take it. That little voice is not going to stop. This broken world that we live in means that our relationship with God, with the rest of his people, even with our very selves, is out of kilter. It's not the way it was supposed to be. So we are surrounded day after day by the lie, the many lies. But the lie that having more is being more. Even that doing more is being more. There is the lie that says power is something that we can exercise over others. That other people, other things are there simply to be possessed. These are lies. And they are not the truth that God tells us. So that's a bit bleak. I just said that that little voice is not going to stop. But here's the hope. The hope is that we can learn the ways to drown out that voice. We can leave the room as Joseph did. We can sing a little louder than our enemies. And we can use Bible verses to counteract those oh-so-plausible lies. This is one of my favorites. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. It's Deuteronomy 31.8. We are not on our own. We never have been. We never will be. We can indeed stand firm. So temptations may be relentless, but the word of God, that is eternal. That is faithful. That helps us to resist. So what else? Well, temptations are tempting. And I know that sounds a little bit silly, but what it means is that in this room, there will be a whole world of different things that tempt us. What is the thing that leads you, me, away from who we are supposed to be, who God designed us to be, the image of God that he placed on us, our best selves? Well, for Potiphar's wife, it seems to be that ability to use her power to get something she wanted. And I'm not defending her, but culturally speaking, it seems her initial offer of, let's call it fun, was not that unusual in the context of an Egyptian slave-owning mistress of the time. Marital ethics were a little more fluid than we might like. And we do see, don't we, over and over again in the Bible, we see situations where there was an assumption that a slave was for their owner's use in whatever way they saw fit. Well, that is, isn't it, a horrible and degrading understanding of humanity. 
that a fellow human being could be seen as an object to be used, discarded, utilized with no more thought than we might drive a car or flick a light switch. And Joseph was, we're told, specifically tempting. Three men in the Bible, David, his son Absalom, and here Joseph, are actually described as attractive. Not Jesus, and noticeably, not Jesus. Not physically attractive. That wasn't how he drew people to him. But Joseph is attractive. The phrase is translated well-built and handsome in the NIV, but the Hebrew uses the same words as the words that are used to describe his mother, Rachel, a lovely figure and beautiful. So it's clear that Joseph is a temptation. He is attractive, present, clever, different. It's clear from the text that he's the only Hebrew in the household, and he is available. Which is what, in turn, makes, presumably, Potiphar's wife a temptation. Now, we have no idea how physically attractive she was, but there is no indication that Joseph was physically repulsed by her. What else do we know about him? We know he was young, single, a long way from home, and therefore a long way from the opportunities for simple companionship, but also no real option for marriage. And this woman is quite literally throwing herself at him. The fact that he deliberately avoided her and her company at all suggests he was at least concerned. So temptations are by definition, things that we want. Things that we think we deserve, possibly. Now I found, whoa. there we go. Here's this picture, it's uh, from the uh, 17th century, I think, uh, but by Guido Reni, do feel free to check it out. But this is Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And um, one of the reasons I quite like it uh, apparently, one of the reasons I'm supposed to like it is Rennie's uh, superb use of draping. He was very good at painting draping. But the reason I like it is because it shows us that they are two young, attractive people. You can see how this was a temptation for them both. Now, it's one of Satan's many tricks to make Potiphar's wife, Joseph, us believe that our temptation is unique that only we have ever had to face anything this difficult nobody else could understand and of course other people can resist whatever it is just plucking something out of nowhere <laughs> with no personal reference at all a kilogram bar of dairy milk but and this is important. Temptation is none of those things. And just to show that it's part of the human condition, it appears in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. 
No temptation has ever overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. There it is again. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when, not if, when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And that last bit should be the most helpful bit. There is always a way out. Let's think of those stories in the Bible. The one that jumps to my mind is David and Bathsheba. How many points in that story could David have said no? He could have not gone and stood on his roof and looked for women. When he found himself on a roof looking at a woman, he could have said, that's not appropriate. I choose to go back inside, close my eyes, turn my back. He could have said no when the little voice said, invite her around. He could have said no when the little voice said, oh, you can just kill her husband. He could have said no when she was standing in front of him but he didn't but we can God, see how many options god gave him to say no how many options are we being given to say that's not quite right that's not my best self that's not who you intended me to be god we can walk or like joseph run away so temptations are tempting and they will definitely test us. They don't have to end us. But what else is temptation? Well, Joseph is really clear on this. Temptation is about sinning against God. And when she first makes the suggestion, Joseph says, well, you're married and your husband has trusted me and those are betrayals that i am not prepared to think about he doesn't want to get caught he doesn't want to be seen to be doing wrong and all of those are good reasons but ultimately the most important thing to joseph and what should be the most important thing to us is it would be a sin against god so this isn't about being seen to do the right thing. It isn't even necessarily about following the rules of the land, although that is important. It is about sinning against God. So let's hold our temptations before God now. Now he already knows what they are for you. And you probably know what your temptations are and we can joke about chocolate but you know i know what the the deepest darkest bits of us are but we're not going to share that here in this room we're going to share it with god if incidentally it would help to share your deepest darkest temptations and fears that it would help to have some kind of 
accountability, then that's what your leadership team is for. It's what Chris and I are for. It's what your deacons are for. Use us. But just for this moment, we're sharing them with God. Now, whatever that testing thing is, whether it is holding on to or acquiring or abusing power, whether that temptation is another human being, whether it's using food to cover up our emotions, gossiping, driving too fast, whatever that temptation is, let's remind ourselves now, it's a sin against God. Now, it may well be a sin against our spouse, our family, society, good taste, the laws of the land, our own health. It may be all of those things. But that is still not as important as it being a sin against God. And that matters because what God offers us is an opportunity for a real relationship. We just sang about how holy God is, and he is, and that is amazing. And what makes it particularly amazing is even though he is holy and mighty and powerful and beyond our understanding, he still wants to be with us. He still turns his face to shine upon us. He still knows and understands our fears and our worries and our deepest, darkest temptations. He wants that relationship with us. He wants our closeness, our intimacy. So it does matter what he thinks of us and what pain we cause him. I am and I'm now really worried that Broadmead are going to take this back to John Caudle, but I am not always a huge fan of Spurgeon, if I'm honest, but this quote struck me. When I regarded God as a tyrant, I thought sin a trifle. But when I knew him to be my father, then I mourned that I could ever have kicked against him. When I thought that God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my breast to think that I could ever have rebelled against one who loved me so and sought my good. God isn't a tyrant. He isn't hard. He is a loving, compassionate God. So it matters. So God already knows those temptations that we are holding out to him now. And in choosing to tell him, we are also choosing to ask for help with them. Now we're told over and over again in the Bible that God wants to put our sins far away from us, that he wants us to start each new day fresh and clean. He delights in our repentance far more than he delights in our suffering. We're not made 
for guilt or shame. So hear this, know this, whatever is in your head right now. If you're thinking that forgiveness is for someone else, someone who's doing this a lot better, not me. My temptation is worse than anyone else's, and I gave into it worse than anybody else. So I have put myself beyond God's loving reach, beyond the scope of what Jesus achieved on the cross. It's not for me. Then I am delighted to tell you that you are wrong, so wrong. Now, this is not a painless deal. It's not even completely one-sided, although Jesus bears the brunt. We need to change. We need to resist. And we need to keep holding those temptations up before God and keep asking for help from him and from those around us. Being Being tempted is human. It is part of the human condition. How do we know? Because Jesus was tempted. In the desert, straight after baptism, right after God had shown the world that this is my son with whom I am well pleased, hard on the heels of that high, and it must have felt good, not Coincidentally, straight after that, Jesus is alone in the desert. He is fasting. He is weak. He is vulnerable. And that is the moment, obviously, that the devil comes for him and he offers him food. He offers him worldly power. He offers him abuse of power. And it's not a million miles away from Joseph, is it? Joseph, starved of affection and companionship, denied his position as favoured son, denied his family. Joseph, too, was weak and vulnerable. But both offer us a picture of the opposite of temptation, the foil, the anti-temptation, which is integrity. Now, integrity is knowing who you are supposed to be, knowing your best self, the one that God made you to be, and, this is the key bit, acting like that all the time. Now, we're told in the text that Potiphar realizes that Joseph's God is with him. I was in the the verses just before we started that we did with Chris a couple of weeks ago. And he knows that Joseph's God is with him, and that's why he's successful. So we probably ought to ask the question, how? How did Potiphar make that connection? I did have a think about it, and I think this is the most plausible explanation, because Joseph made it clear. The household is running smoothly, thanks be to God. The crops have come in on time. Oh, praise to God. Ah, safe return of the master. Oh, I'm glad to have you home, sir. It's because God went with you. So Joseph has built 
his reputation, his professional life, his success on who God is and who God wants Joseph to be. A wise woman once described this as living life like you have the living room curtains open. I wanted a picture where they were looking out on the street. That's looking out on the garden, which doesn't work quite so well. But you get the idea. Everybody can see in. They can see you dropping biscuit crumbs down the sofa. They can see you picking your nose, watching awful telly. Everyone can see in. So if they can see in, don't we want our inside lives to match up with our outside lives? Shouldn't our Monday morning face be the same as our Sunday morning face? Wouldn't it be better, in fact, if we didn't have different faces? We say we're Christians. So do we live lives of honor, honesty, kindness, openness, and open-handedness? Are we non-judgmental? Do we leave revenge only to God? Do we worship only him, or do we occasionally worship money, sex, and power? Do we do that all the time? Even in the desert, even hungry and scared and alone, Jesus knew that giving in to the easy route, the use and abuse of power, that was not his character. So he followed God's way and he sent those temptations packing. And even in the quiet of Potiphar's wife's bedroom, with no one else around to witness a small indiscretion, Joseph knew that he was more than that. I'd like to think that he knew she was more than that, and that God had better things planned for him, for both of them. So temptation is defeated by integrity. It is integrity that will finally silence, or at least drown out, those little voices. It's probably worth pointing out that even in our bit of the story, we know that it doesn't entirely work out for Joseph. So he has integrity, but he also loses his freedom, his position. He appears to lose his honor. But who else? Who else do we know who appeared to lose everything, was stripped and beaten and mocked and spat at and then executed in the worst possible way, like a common criminal? In doing all of that, Jesus might have appeared to lose everything, but his obedient actions, even to death, meant that he was raised back to life and he gave us life. Temptation, being tested by the things of the world, it is a part of this human existence. Joseph knew it. Jesus knew it. 
I'm pretty sure we all know it. What we have, though, like Joseph and like Jesus, are the tools to deal with it. We have the example of men and women of God, men and women of integrity, who hold true to what they know to be true. We have the example of Jesus himself, his obedience, his honesty. And we have the scriptures to drown out those voices. We have each other to hold us accountable, to point out the wobble or the slip with love and a helping hand back up. Most of all, we have the one who promised us we would never be on our own, that we could have courage because he will back us up. We don't need to be able to do it all. We don't need to be, we can't always be completely strong and solid, but that's okay because we have a God who is. We have a God that we love, that we worship, a God that we owe it all to, who is mighty and powerful, and more mighty and more powerful than the temptations we face. Pray with me. Mighty God, this morning, possibly for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, we hand over our weaknesses, our fears, those things which we feel like are an unbearable temptation to you. We fall to our knees, Lord, acknowledging your power, your victory over sin and shame. And we pray that you will walk alongside us as we resist in your strength and not our own. Leave this place with us, we pray, and help us to live lives of integrity, of honesty, and lives that are all about your powerful truth. Amen.